If I were the devil, if I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness, and I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population, but I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispers. With the wisdom of a serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth, I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good and what's good is square. And the old I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors in how to make lurid literature exciting so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. If I were the devil, I'd soon have families at war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves until each in its turn was consumed. And with promises of higher ratings, I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine young intellects, but neglect to discipline emotions, just let those run wild. Until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing, I'd have judges promoting pornography, Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse, and then from the houses of Congress. And in his own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbol of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of the ambitious. And what'll you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as the way to get rich. I would caution against extremes in hard work, in patriotism, in moral conduct. I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, that what you see on TV is the way to be. And thus I could undress you in public, I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep right on doing what he's doing. In 1965, the essay we just heard was written and read by Paul Harvey. Um, how many, by the raise of hands, were alive in 1965? Okay, we see some hands up there. There's a lot of them that think that's been many moons ago. But think about 1965, even 1975. This essay that was written was by a gentleman named Paul Harvey. He was a broadcaster on the radio. We see him on television. I think it was 60 Minutes. Um, think of the message that he was saying and how it would have been received. And think about it today, how it's unraveled to be so true. And in essence, it was prophetic. He was just saying, if he were the devil, 
he was looking at the society as he saw it at that time and the culture and the things that were going on. And he was just speaking to it. And I believe it was inspired to, for him to, to write this. It didn't only prove to be prophetic, but it serves as a warning uh, to the people today, even. It's going to unravel even more. You know, you think about 1965. It was a different world. It really was. It, um, it looked different. Every aspect of life was different. The way uh, we worshiped, the way we shopped, the way we spent our evenings as a family around a, a dining room table, the way we prayed together. But you know, the morning after this was read on television and the radio, can you imagine what it would have been like at the water or coffee pot? All the discussions, it would have been controversial. It would have been, if the view was on, we'd have um, Whoopi Goldberg, Joy Behar, they'd all been arguing about it. You know, if it's good that they say things like that or, you know, just dissecting it. But um you know, I think one thing they'd all agree with, if we ask them, why do you think this is? I think everyone would say, well, uh, because, you know, morals have declined and also because there's a force of evil there. Well, in essence, that's kind of right. But the moral decline has a name that we're going to talk about today, and it's called sin. That's the moral decline, sin. And that, uh, that source of evil, evil is not unknown. It's not unknown. It is Satan. He's the author of lies. He's the deceiver. He is the enemy. Satan is the enemy. I want to say that Satan is the enemy. He's a ferocious enemy who wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy all those you love. He doesn't care. And, but he's not easily identifiable either. Um, I've seen little renderings. You see the devil with the pitchfork and the little horns. Friends, that's not what Satan looks like. It's not, and we'll know more about this a little bit later. But in Scripture, 2 Corinthians tells us, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. You see, Satan is more. He'd be easily easy to identify if he had the pitchfork and the horns. This morning, I want us to familiarize ourselves with who the enemy is, and he lurks around like a prowling, roaring lion, as scripture tells us. I've seen on my Facebook feed a, a, a young man standing in front of a glass um, case that has a lion behind it, and the boy's just standing there, and he's talking, and he's going to get his picture taken, and in the background, you can see a lion that is looking at him intently. And he eventually prowls up on him, and he pounces on the glass. That's Satan. That's Satan. Satan's not always existed. Um, he, and his, uh, he and his league of angels... Uh, were created. You know, in First uh, Colossians 1.16, it says, he and all the other angels were created. It says, for in him, all things were created, created things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, 
I'm going to take you back to Ezekiel. This is the origin. We want to know where Satan came from. We're going to go to Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17 are the verses I'm going to read. We find a description of Satan before he sinned. And again, that's Ezekiel 28, 12 through 17. And starting in verse 12, it reads, Son of man, take up a lament concerning the king of Tyre and say to him, this is what the sovereign Lord says. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Verse 13, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adored you. Carnelian, chrysolite, emerald, topaz, onyx, and jasper, lapis, lazuli, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold, and on the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked along among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Now, the scripture, although it's speaking to the king of Tyre, there's a lot of indications the passage that he was describing was described, described a king in terms that could not apply just to a mere man. The passage on the Tyranian, Tyran, can't pronounce it, Tyrian king symbolizes Satan, is who it symbolizes in Ezekiel 28. The prophet was speaking beyond the king to Satan himself and pro provides us just like an insider, a glimpse to who Satan is. In verse 12, we discover that Satan or Lucifer was created in perfect wisdom and beauty. See, he was an ugly little runt. He wasn't the pug puppy. He was beautiful, and he was smart. He had wisdom. Thus says the Lord God, you had the seal of perfection in all of creation. There's never been another being created as perfect as Lucifer. The last part of 12 states he was full of wisdom, and throughout all God's wondrous works, no creature could be found to match the marvelous wisdom of Lucifer. He was the anointed cherub. As outlined in Scripture, he was that dazzling angel who walked in the Garden of Eden, we know, and had direct access to God until one day when everything changed. Lucifer's splendor was his downfall. Um, according to Ezekiel, he became filled with violence within, and he sinned. His head was lifted up because of his beauty, verses 16 and 17. Everything about Lucifer's appearance was a gift from God, yet he allowed him to allow it to inspire him to be rebellious. Even though Lucifer was beautiful, brilliant, and powerful, he failed to recognize some of the things he was not. And I like to think of these things as the true, true weaknesses of Satan. And I want you to listen to these. The first one is Satan's not sovereign. He's not sovereign. That's not a word we use much, but it means supreme ruler. Now, Satan rules a, a dominion of de demons but it's not beyond the bounds that God established for him. Not at all. I'm going to go over these quickly. He's, uh, Satan's not omnipotent, having unlimited power, able to do anything. He's not. He's not. Satan is powerful, but not all-powerful. 1 John 4, 4 says, You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one 
who is in you is greater than one who is in the world. That is, God is all powerful. God is able to do whatever he wishes or desires. The devil is able only to do what God permits him to do. Satan's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He does not know everything. Sometimes I think we give him more credit. We, we want to think that he knows everything that's going on in our heads. Satan doesn't know everything. 1 Peter 1.12 says, It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. But when they spoke of the things that they have been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Angels are not all-knowing. We need to know that. That is, God knows everything, the devil doesn't. Of course, he knows a great deal, and he's been around a long time, but he does not know all things. Satan is not omnipresent. He can't be everywhere at the same time. And I, I, a big part of my life, I didn't know that. I thought he could be everywhere and he was influencing. This is where today I want us to get familiar with this, that Satan has angels and forces that he's in charge of, but Satan himself is not with, he's not present everywhere. Um, the book of Job reveals that Satan can travel to heaven and roam about the earth. We remember that about Job and the book of Job. The devil can go to different locations. He's never described as present everywhere. Satan's demons do not have abilities that humans do not, but they are limited nonetheless. The demons had to lead the possessed man at Gerasenes in order to enter the pigs, if you remember that. You know, and the pigs went over the cliff. Um, if he left Jesus, um, and Satan is described as leaving Jesus in the desert after he had, you know, he'd been, um, he was hungry, um, had been tempted. What did Satan do? He left him. He left him at that point. He didn't stay with him. If he could be everywhere at once, he would have stayed with Jesus. So Jesus, God, is everywhere. He's present. Satan has limitations. He's not going to win. That's why he operates through a vast amount of um, demons to carry out his duties. Uh, James Boyce, he's a, a teacher, author, speaker from you know, the late 20th century. Um, he, he writes something interesting. It's an interesting observation, actually. He says that in all the Bible, we know of only six individuals who were tempted by Satan himself. Only six. Eve, but not Adam. Job. Jesus Christ, Judas, Peter, and Ananias, not Sapphira. No doubt there have been many others, but that's the only one the Bible tells us about. Lucifer fell because of his self-exaltation to assert his own position rather than remain in position to service to the Almighty God. He was not content in being the head of praise to God. There's a key word there. He wasn't content. You know, as humans, we go to seek things that make us content. We try to fill those voids. Those are Satan's. Those are fiery darts that Satan has at you. It's money. It's, it's fame. It's popularity. Uh, be having material things. 
um, the thing of it is, Satan, he's the author of that. It is nothing different. He wasn't content in the very finest spot that he could be. He made his choice and gave everything up because of arrogance and pride. Not only did Lucifer rebel against God, he led a large group of angels. The scripture says it was about one-third of the angels. Think about that. These unholy angels were referred to as demons, evil spirits, or unclean spirits. This is Satan's team of evil. I want us to briefly touch on them. And these definitions, and a lot of this is paraphrased from um, different concordances. This specifically right now is from an evangelical free pastor by the name of Jack Wellman. Unclean spirits, which we read about in Scripture, specifically in Mark uh, chapter 5 and Mark chapter 1, the term unclean spirit and demon seems to be interchangeable a lot of times in Scripture. There's no clear difference in their definitions. An unclean spirit or demon is unclean that it is wicked and lead people to do unnatural, harmful, destructive things to themselves and others. We find them inflicting people with convulsions, leading them to do immoral things, sometimes suicide, having no regard for their bodies and exhibiting a heightened level of strength. Next, we have the spirit of divination. Divination, D-I-V-I-N-A-T-I-O-N, in Acts. These spirits are often encountered in psychics, fortune tellers, card readers. They know information, but not all, and they certainly don't know the future. People go to mediums to find out what their future holds or they want to talk to someone in the past. I remember in the 90s, there was a Miss Cleo that, you know, call Miss Cleo to get your, you know, find out your future. And on the bottom, it says for entertainment purposes only. It's not for, you're just asking for the devil to, to you're giving a crack to get in there. You know who, what your future is. If you're a believer, you know who holds it. And you walk in faith. So that's um, another team member under Satan. Principalities in Ephesians 6, the word Prince here means commander. These are the first-class celestial beings in devil's kingdom. Um, this commentator writes that he, he wouldn't be surprised if every nation doesn't have their own principality. Um, I don't know that by fact. Um, next, uh, for sake of time, powers in Ephesians 2.2. There are celestial beings that are usually mentioned in conjunction with principalities, powers and principalities. Um, it would be a, like a parallel in the military where we would uh, say that there would be corporals and generals. I believe it's that type of um, reign. Um, spiritual wickedness in high places. There are spiritual wickedness, highly refined as some blind evil, disguised falsehoods in the guise of religion. I believe there's evangelists, there's people that we won't mention by name from the pulpit that are a form of godliness that are spreading a form of the truth, but it is nothing short of a lie of Satan. A lie of Satan. If it doesn't go along with God's word and its truth, it is a lie from Satan. Satan, again, is the author of lies and sin. John 8, 42, 44 says, Jesus said to them, 
if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding on to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, today, if I were to say, what's the definition of sin? That's a pretty easy, we think it's pretty obvious, don't we? Well, and the Gospel Coalition gives a really good definition. Sin is acting or behaving in a way that does not conform with God's character or commands. It's about crossing the lines that's been laid down by us, by God. Sin is thus an act of rebellion and distrust. It is saying to God, you don't get to make the rules. I'm capable of deciding right and wrong on my own. Think about it this way. One of your biggest investments is your home. If you had termites in there and I came over and you were telling me about it, and I would say, you know, termites, you know, it's okay. A little bit, you know, a few can't hurt much, you know. Or let's say you go to the doctor and he says, you have a spot of cancer. Uh, you know, it's nothing to worry about unless it gets bigger. You know, that's just a temper tantrum that person's having. It's no big deal. They'll work through it. That, don't worry about it. Nobody talks that way because that's lies. Termites eat your house all the way to the ground. A temper tantrum can lead anger into abuse. And a spot of cancer can kill you. I wonder sometimes if we do that on our, with our souls, when we look at our lives in Christ, that we feel that we fail miserably to recognize there is an enemy. That we just, you know, we go to church and sing Amazing Grace, and we go to, I sort of say, Sirloin Stockade, that's in the history, but we all go out to eat after church and it's all good. A few little sins wouldn't hurt anything. But let me tell you, a little bit of sin can infest and infect your entire life. Paul's really good at it in Ephesians. We've studied Ephesians for months and I'm glad we have. There's one verse today that I'm going to focus on. It's in Ephesians 4.27. 427 says, and do not give the devil a foothold. We're all going to say this together, and you, you'll remember this, and I want you to remember it. And do not give the devil a foothold. Can you say it with me? And do not give the devil a foothold. What's a foothold? Well, if you're a rock climber, you can tell I'm not a rock climber. You know, the foothold's where you get your, your bracing to for your first step to climb up. But in scripture, uh, it, it speaks to a spot, a place, a location, condition, a region. You know, like Brother Tim reminded us last week, the Christian walk is a hard gig. If anybody told you it was going to be easy, they lied to you. It's not going to be easy. It's an uphill, it's uphill walk. I think we underestimate devil. I know I do. I underestimate him. I forget. Do you believe that you have an enemy that seeks to destroy you? 
You don't have to answer those out loud. Do you believe um, there's a roaring lion out there that seeks to deceive you? One of the scriptures I memorized years ago was John 10, 10. Satan, the thief, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But you know what? There's not a period there. There's a comma after that says that he has come that we may have life and have it more abundantly. That's an amen spot, like Tim says. That's where you say amen. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he has come, Jesus has come, to give us life, life eternal, to protect us from the enemy, to give us the way, the truth, and the life that only he can give. <clears throat> Satan's going to give you a package. <clears throat> it's going to have glitter bows. It's going to be beautiful. You're going to be thrilled to get it. You're going to open it up, and it's going to have death on the inside of it. If you take that gift in there and you live and walk with it day in, day out, it's horrible. Ephesians 4, 27, 30 says, Nor give place to the devil, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has needs. Let no one corrupt word come out of your mouth. Don't start it, that's sin. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, I want to focus on 27. Again, uh, this is the New King James Version. Foothold, King James Version uses place. And the Greek word for place is topos, T-O-P-O-S. You know, it refers to a, a specific place, and it forms the word, uh, 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 the word for a map, a, I can't ever pronounce this. Thank you. Say it again. It's a map, topographical map. Was it you? Topography. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not going to try to say it. But it reminded me, you know, how many people, do, do we teach our kids to read maps anymore? I mean, you know, even in the 90s, my dad, he bought me. I was traveling on the road. I would go to Chicago. This was a hope boy going to Chicago, you know, pretty much every week. He bought me a Garmin, and it was a GPS. It was just a little box that you could put your destination in, and it'd tell you how to get there. <laughs> it did. It told you how to get there, but it'd give you the quickest route. I ended up in Spanish Harlem in Chicago trying to get somewhere, and it scared me to death. You know, um, yeah, they tell you how to get there, but you won't like the destination. You know, um, I'm just thinking about GPS. You know, it's telling us where to go. We need to look at the map, the God's word he's given to us, and we know where we want to go. We don't want Satan to tell us how to get there and what's okay. We want to trust in God's word. The verse tells us that the devil has a place. If we give the devil a place in our life, it's our choice if we give it to him. He doesn't take it. We give it. Ultimately, if we're going to proclaim Christ as our Savior and we're going to love him, we're going to walk with him, and we want to avoid the enemy, or we want to combat him. I know there's men going to come up for weeks and tell us about how we can combat this evil enemy. But let me tell you this. Mark 12, 30 says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And let me tell you, when you do that, the enemy can't jack with you when you're going to love the Lord first. You're going to say, Lord's on my pedestal in my heart. Satan, go to hell. You know, it, that's just the way it is. 
Have you ever heard somebody say, if you give somebody an inch, <clears throat> excuse me, they'll take a mile. I've said that, you know, you, you let them come over, you give them an inch, they take a mile, I'll be here every day. If you give Satan an inch, he'll come in. It may be just a lie. It may be just uh, something that you think is, oh, it's a, it's a white lie. It's not really a sin. We're giving him a foothold. We're giving him an invitation to come in. <clears throat> As a follower of Christ this morning, I'm going to tell you what we need to be. My life is supposed to be a sanctuary is what it's supposed to be. I memorized this scripture too when we were younger. Julie and I did. It's from 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? When you accept Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in here. He's living inside you. And you received it not on your own. It was from God. It's not on your own. And you were bought with a price. He didn't come into you. It was at a price. It was at a price where a Savior suffered and died for you. And what are we to do? We're to be a living sacrifice, or a living sanctuary, pure, tried, and true. Whatever we do, we need to glorify God, whether you're chopping wood. Give glory to God. When I think about footholds, I think about David and the scripture that Brother Jacob read to us. For sake of time, I can't go through all of this, but David was a man after God's own heart. I wanted that illustration this morning because we do fail. We do get entrapped in sin. Now, David, even though he was a man after God's own heart, God never, ever takes away the consequences of your sin, but he will forgive you. Do you hear that? He'll forgive you, but there's a consequence. I think David experienced that. And you know what? The thing about it is it didn't only affect David. It affected his family. It affected his nation. Sin affects everyone. Long before David walked on the roof that night, he opened the door and let the devil in. You just go to the rooftop. It's just go to the rooftop. David allowed the devil to occupy a place in God's space, and it haunted him forever. The little baby that was conceived died. Bathsheba's husband was killed, murdered at the hands of David. Mm. I've shared in the pulpit several times, um, my mom and dad, when they both passed away, they had letters put aside for each one of the kids to read. I've read them to you. <clears throat> Mom's was... The age I was, 59, I just figured that out this morning. Same age as me when she wrote it to me. She died 20 years later to the date. It was dated October 2nd, 1985, 20 years before. <clears throat> if I was going to write a letter to my friends and to my kids, my grandkids, um, it would say all the things that they said to me. But I also want them to know there's an enemy want them to know there's an enemy. First and foremost, you need to know Christ. But here's something else I would include for them. I have my green kids sitting here. But it's from Billy Graham. <clears throat> it was just a question posed to him. And 
I am going to include this in my letter. <clears throat> How can a God of love send anyone to hell? Answer, God doesn't send anyone to hell. The Bible declares that hell was never intended for man, but for the devil and his demons in Matthew 25, 41. Those who reject Christ choose to follow Satan, and they will follow him right to his ultimate destiny. In spite of all that God has done to save them from the fiery abyss, God has reached out in a dramatic way to show us the way to heaven. He sent his only son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for mankind by shedding his blood to cover man's sin. He has sent his Holy Spirit as a warning, and the Bible calls out in Amos 4.12, prepare to meet your God. What more can a loving God do than give his perfect, perfect son to pay man's penalty? for breaking his law, dis disobeying him, and rejecting the Savior. We're free agents, Billy writes. God didn't create us as machines to be compelled to love him. We choose to obey or to disobey him. It's a choice. By his marvelous grace and mercy, he's given us the power of free choice. Those who reject or neglect Christ will be in hell. No man will go to hell because he lived an immoral life. For Christ himself will forgive those who repent of sin and receive him as Savior. People go to hell because they do not want to repent, rejecting God's perfect plan of salvation. Scripture says, he who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The only way to salvation is acceptance of Christ as Savior. The way to hell is rejection of him. There is salvation in no one else. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. There is salvation in no one else. How wonderful that our loving God will give us the choice to love him back. Surveys even report that many believers do not believe that Satan even exists. This is still Billy Graham. This is going in the letter, Elias. So pour you a cup of coffee and drink it when you're reading it. If this is true, then the Bible isn't true. Satan would have us reject his reality, nothing more than a comic book or character, because he has continued the battle to be like God. Think about the picture. I want you to think about this picture this morning. This is where I want you to listen. We're two minutes away. Jesus, the picture that Jesus paints of the separation of those on his right and those on his left. Place that picture deep in your mind right now. The separation will take place not because God desires it to happen, but because man has made the choice not to follow him. Now, as you consider that picture, look at the terrified faces of those who are told by the Heavenly Father to depart. Are there any faces there you recognize today?
This is why we must recognize and understand the reality of Satan, who the enemy is. We need to take this picture seriously to make sure that as many people as possible are on the right side of grace today. Then the king will say to those on his right side, come you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. From Matthew 25, 34. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I come before you right now, Lord, and I just pray, Lord, you are heavenly, our Heavenly Father, you're the maker of heaven and earth, and Lord, I'm thankful that you have victory over Satan, but Lord, this morning, we all know that there is an enemy, and I hope that um, through your word, we know who the enemy is, and Father, over the coming weeks, I, I pray that you'll just continue to feed us with your word to know how to combat it, but first and foremost, we need to recognize our sinful nature, and then we must repent, which means turn away. And Lord, you're faithful and forgive us. And that starts the journey of following you. Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that does not know you, Lord, that they can't step out of this room without uh, asking myself or Tim, Jay, Jacob, anyone that does not know you, Father, may we make that decision, help them walk them through making that decision today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm -hmm.